Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and in the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jared Bumpers, Assistant Professor of Preaching and Evangelism here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Jared Alcantara to the podcast. Jared is the Associate Professor of Preaching and Paul W. Powell and Dow Chair in Preaching at George Truett Theological Seminary at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. He's the author of Crossover Preaching, Intercultural Improvisational Homiletics in Conversation with Gardner C. Taylor, Learning from a Legend, What Gardner C. Taylor Can Teach Us About Preaching, and the Practices of Christian Preaching. Jared, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you so much, Dr. Bumpers. It's a joy to be with you, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited today to introduce our listeners to somebody that many of them probably aren't familiar with, and so I want to start out by asking you just to give us a brief introduction to his life. Who is Gardner Taylor? Great question. Dr. Gardner C. Taylor was born in June 1918, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, born black in the Deep South during Jim Crow era segregation, and was raised uh, as a Baptist in the National Baptist Convention of Churches, which for a long time was the largest black organization in the United States, especially, and one of the largest in the world, with five million members, up to six million members at one point. And so he grew up in the church, went off to Oberlin College to study theology, first had done a degree at Leland College, an all-black institution before that, was the captain of the football team, was a brilliant, motivated student, but sense a call to pastoral ministry as a young man after a traffic accident caused him to reevaluate the trajectory of his life. And so went to Oberlin School of Theology to study theology to become a pastor, pastored all along the way, and first in Ohio at Oberlin, then back in Louisiana, two different places, New Orleans, Baton Rouge. But the real turning point came when uh, a church in Brooklyn, New York, called Concord Baptist, called him to be their next pastor in 1948, just 30 years old. But he ended up serving there for 42 years. Let me say that again, 42 years, 1948 to 1990. And over that time period, of course, came a leader in his denomination, the National Baptist Convention, later on in the Progressive National Baptist Convention, but was considered not only a a well-known leader and influential figure, a civil rights activist, but really was known as a preacher's preacher. So he got all of these nicknames in the 70s and 80s, the Dean of the Nation's Black Preachers, Mm -hmm. the Poet Laureate of the American Pulpit. So he was admired by more than one generation of preachers for faithful, biblical gospel proclamation and people lined up just to hear the the great preaching that they could hear whenever Gardner Taylor was preaching. Man, yeah, that that's great. So for those who aren't familiar with him, you know, they, they hear this, okay, he, he's well-known, he has a reputation for preaching. Can you kind of describe his, his preaching style for our listeners? What was distinctive about his preaching? Great question. The young Gardner Taylor learned some lessons along the way that we can all learn. Uh, he wanted to try to really impressed people with the turns of phrase. Now, he was known as a great poet. Yeah, he's got that nickname, the Poet Laureate of the American Pulpit. So was very careful, creative, artful with his language. But he learned very early on that that could only take him so far and that the goal should not be to impress people. He said he was sounding like a fancy Dan too much, trying to impress people (laughs) with his stuff. But he really made a turn uh, as a young preacher, especially at Concord, to be Christocentric. He saw the the verse in John 12 when people come to visit 
Jerusalem, and according to the King James Version, they, they asked the disciples, we would see Jesus. We're here to see Jesus. And he actually wrote that uh, down and memorized that and said that that's what he wanted his preaching to be like, that people would see Jesus. He even put a bronze plaque inside his pulpit just to remind himself that that's the goal of Christian preaching, that people would see and savor Jesus Christ. So you've got a Christocentric preacher. You've got a preacher who, on the one hand, is remaining tethered to the text, but also, on the other hand, is thinking, speaking prophetically to the, to the world at large, to unjust system structures, to the mistreatment of black Americans in the United States at the time. So uh, that's, the, that's the phrase attributed to Billy Graham. He's got the, the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, mm. and he's balancing that juxtaposition, being biblically faithful, but also being timely to the age in which he lived and calling out idols, calling out injustice. He's improvisational. He's intercultural. By improvisational, I mean even even in the internalization of the sermon, uh, he's able to listen, respond, pray, seek out the Holy Spirit while he's preaching in such a way that he's able to take a left turn instead of a right turn <laughs> or take a detour or speed up or slow down. Just like improvisational musicians are able to do, just like other improvisers are able to do, uh, reading, attending to the space. Uh, intercultural means he knew how to navigate all kinds of different racial, ethnic, ecclesial divides. Long before we were talking about how important that is, he was doing it very early on. So he was in other denominational spaces that weren't Baptist. He was in uh, other countries preaching to uh, people all over the world. Uh, he was bridging divides between black Americans and white Americans and was a consciously um, intercultural person. So he had that proficiency, too. So he got biblical proficiency, theological proficiency, Christocentric in his uh, structure and content, uh, intercultural proficiency, improvisational proficiency. Those are some of the things that really marked him as a preacher. Man, that's great. Gonna gonna switch gears here just for a second. Let me ask this question: How did you get interested in studying Dr. Taylor? Well, I grew up not too far from where he was pastor for so long. By the time I was a young man, he had already retired, so I didn't get to hear him in his prime. But I got to hear people mention his name even in the '80s and '90s because of growing up in New Jersey. So it was only about an hour and fifteen minutes, an hour and a half from Dr. Taylor's church. I didn't grow up in black churches but knew a lot of black Christians from different black churches who said Gardner Taylor's name from time to time. It really wasn't until seminary in the early 2000s when I was participating in different connections, uh, collegial relationships with other black churches where I learned more about him. A professor uh, also said, have you heard about Gardner Taylor? Have you read his sermons? Have you listened to his sermons? And so that really got me started on that journey of learning more about his preaching. So it was really just through others, first informally and then more formally and academically, being introduced to him after he had retired. And then when I went on to do the PhD, one of my professors, Cleophus J. LaRue, knew Dr. Taylor personally and was considered a mentee of Dr. Taylor's. And so that was a really special opportunity to get to know him more personally. So I got to visit him in North Carolina, talk to him on the phone, 
spoke with his wife several times, even after he died in 2015, and just got to know the family a little better. So it's just been a wonderful journey, more than 20 years of formally uh, reading about Dr. Taylor, reading his sermons, listening to his sermons, and getting to know the family. That's great. Well, Dr. Alcantara, let me ask this question. What can preachers today learn from him? So you've described his preaching style, his influence. What can preachers today learn from him? Well, there's several things. I, at first, when I was reading his sermons and thinking about the kind of preacher that he was and how in many ways he was a forerunner or someone who was a harbinger of things to come, I thought, what we need now more than ever is preachers who are more interculturally and improvisationally proficient, especially in an intercultural church with an intercultural future. And so that's really what I argued in the, in the first book, Crossover Preaching. But then I wanted to get more practical. What were practical things that we could take away or that we could learn from Gardner Taylor's preaching? Because I didn't want it to just be at 30,000 feet. So the second book, Learning from a Legend, What Gardner Taylor Can Teach Us About Preaching, in that book I identify six lessons in particular that we can learn. And the first one is really more about our pastoral life and about our walk with God. And it's that pain can empower us to preach. Uh, Haddon Robinson calls it preaching with a limp. Uh, Dr. Taylor experienced all kinds of difficulties, tragedies. He was in a major car accident as a young man, as I mentioned. He also, as he was speaking out about educational inequalities in New York, was put into prison several times, put in jail several times for speaking out about these inequalities. His wife was tragically uh, hit and killed by a bus as an older person, and this is in the early 1990s when they were both in their 70s, but experienced lots of pain, lots of loss, and then add to that tragedies, challenges of growing up where he grew up in the South as a black man in the South during Jim Crow era segregation. Yet he somehow found a way to channel that pain and use that pain in a way that would bring glory to God. He used to say, you're not really ready to preach until something has cut you, something, a shadow has crossed your life. That happened in his own life, and he was able somehow to use that loss, that hardship, and use it to the glory of God. Uh, the second lesson would be a redemptive focus, and I mentioned this earlier. We would see Jesus. He wanted to make sure that in every sermon people heard the good news related to the grace and mercy that's found through Jesus Christ, and so he was very uh, spurgeonic in that sense, mm. that he wanted to take us to the cross, take us to the empty tomb, help us see and savor the goodness of Christ. The third one has to do with eloquence. And now sometimes we might be afraid of that word, or we might be afraid of using artful, creative, poetic language. But I really try to challenge us and push us to, to rethink that. Gardner Taylor used to say, that we have two currencies, the currency of our integrity and the currency of language. And if we debase either currency, then we prevent people from having a fresh, clear hearing of the gospel. So we can't debase our integrity because people are looking at the person behind the sermon and whether or not there's a match or a mismatch. But we also can't debase language. Uh, words have power. Words are useful. We should think well, not only about precision and concision, but also think well about how to communicate the beauty and wonder and power of the gospel through artful, creative, poetic, narratival language, in addition to the plain language and accessible language that we use. The gospel's worth that. It's worth our willingness to push ourselves, not only to write ourselves clear, but to write ourselves toward a more artful, creative, 
eloquent way of communication, especially since it's so hard to win a hearing in the 21st century. Apprenticeship has to do with connecting ourselves to preachers who have gone before us. And so Gardner Taylor used to read sermons late at night at Oberlin School of Theology, and he would uh, read all of these sermons, not only from black preachers, but also from leading white preachers of his day. So he would apprentice himself not only to people who look like him, but to people who didn't, because he believed that great preaching can transcend culture and context, uh, and that he could learn things from others in order to help him reach more people outside of his own context. So the question then becomes, who are we apprenticing ourselves to? We never arrive. We're always called to listen to and learn from other preachers who've gone before us. Perhaps they're historical figures that we admire from the Reformation or church fathers, but they can also be people that we listen to on our iPhone or a smartphone, people who nourish us in our soul, but also help us want to be better preachers because we've heard them. Contextualization. Dr. Taylor used to say that we must learn to be like Ezekiel, who, after having the heavenly ecstatic vision, also sat down by the Kabar River. He sat where the people sat and wept with them. So he said great preachers really need to learn to be great pastors, which means that they need to be willing to sit where the people sit. That's what contextualization is, really. It's a fittingness to the context in which we find ourselves for the sake of reaching as many people as we can. And it doesn't mean that we have to water down the gospel. It doesn't mean that we have to somehow forsake the timelessness or transcultural elements of it. It means that in addition to the timelessness and transcultural elements, we also consider what it means to sound timely, to win a hearing, to reach people in such a way that the gospel is intelligible and persuasive to them right now. Yeah. to reach them contextually and culturally on top of the transcultural elements. And then the last lesson is holiness. Remember, I mentioned the currency of our integrity. Gardner Taylor was pushing those who were more scholarly-minded to have reverent scholarship, and then pushing those who weren't as scholarly-minded to remember that God calls us to love him with our minds. Uh, yet, all of this is a way to speak into the critical, critical component of the preaching life of having a life that preaches. Sometimes we want to have preaching that lives. He's calling us to have lives that preach. So yes, we care about the currency of language. Yes, we work hard on writing ourselves clear and creative, but not at the cost of our integrity, our character, our relationship with God. There should be a fire that burns within us so that that fire shut up in our bones, as Jeremiah declares, that we're weary of holding it in, would come out in a way that's intelligible and persuasive to people, but come out of a life that's lived in obedience to God and as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that's good, and I, it's all, I think it's always helpful. You know, you talk about holiness and character and integrity, and, you know, a lot of the, those character formation-type terms are, are important because we, we don't just want to stand up and deliver a message that's undermined by the way that we live. And so, man, I'm, I'm always that's grateful right. of, of preachers and pastors in history who have that, that character and integrity that's laying the foundation on which they, they serve Christ and share the gospel. So. Love to hear that, and and hopefully our our listeners are encouraged to examine their own hearts and to pursue godliness in their own lives and their own own ministries. 
Well, you, you've talked about things that we can learn from him, but I think this is a fun question. What are, what are uh, one or two things maybe that, that are unique uh, to Dr. Taylor that you would say, okay, you can't do this, we can't imitate this, he's just so uniquely gifted in this area that we might as well not even try? Yes, a few things come to mind, uh, at least two things. The first one would be that it would be a bad idea for me to sound like Gardner Taylor. <laughs> because there'll never be another Gardner Taylor, just as there'll never be another John Calvin or Martin Luther or Martin Luther King or fill in the blank, because God called them to a particular time, a particular place, gave them a particular call and a particular voice. So, for example, here's someone who preached in a particular way and had a particular style that was fitting to how God created him, how God called him, and the voice that God gave him. Now, there's ways that we emulate those we admire, but the difference between emulation and carbon copy, or emulation and imitation in that negative sense of the word imitation. God would want us to sound like ourselves in the best sense of that word, our redeemed selves. We don't want to have a preaching persona that's radically different than the person that we are everywhere else, but we also don't want to try to force ourselves to sound like someone we're not. So I'm never going to sound like Gardner Taylor. That would be a mistake for me. That would be a misjudgment on my part. I wouldn't really do him justice, and I wouldn't really do my listeners justice, those who hear my preaching, because they could probably tell really early on that I was trying to sound like someone else instead of sound like myself. So even the next generation, the next wave of African-American preachers, know that it going to sound different in 2023 than it did in 1983, toward the tail end of his ministry, and that even if they emulate the best of Gardner-Taylor, that they need to sound like themselves. So that's one. Uh, The second one is you can't replicate context. So there are other contexts, like the Gardner-Taylor context of a black church in Brooklyn, in which there's going to be call and response. But if we try to sound like a preacher who is connected in call and response in context where that's not typical, <laughs> then we're actually not able to replicate uh, a style that's familiar to him or replicate the context in which he was often preaching, not only preaching in those contexts, but often preaching in those contexts. So I compare it to uh, playing a duet at a, on a piano. I used to play piano as a kid. But with a duet, there's some person playing the bass line and another person playing the treble line. So if you try to play a duet by yourself, then that's a big mistake. Mm. You need the other person in order for the music to sound the way it should sound. So I think we also have to be thoughtful, mindful that we can't really replicate the style. We should sound like ourselves, and we also can't replicate the context. There are other contexts like that that are call and response, but if you're in a context that's not like that, and you, you should think about what it sounds like to preach in your context. That's, that's a more important question than trying to replicate what it sounded like in his context. Yeah, that's good. As you, as you think about his preaching, is there, this is kind of a personal question, but is there a sermon that, that maybe is your favorite that you really enjoy? And if so, what is it about that particular sermon that, that you enjoy? Well, two come to mind. One is a shorter sermon that I have students listen to called Our Great Savior. It's out of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the Christ hymn. And in that sermon, Dr. Taylor does that very thing that I described earlier of holding uh, the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. He's preaching at a black church, and he's talking about what Cleo LaRue calls corporate concerns. And so he's thinking 
and speaking prophetically to that community, but also speaking to ills and injustices and sins that are going on in the larger society. And so he's speaking to his listeners and speaking beyond his listeners to the nation. But he's not ever wandering far from the Philippians 2 text. His goal is to secure a fitting reverence for the lordship of our Savior Jesus Christ, our great Savior. So he talks about how he's willing to come all the way down in the incarnation, willing to go to a cross, and now has been raised up. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. So that's one. The other one, since it's hard to pick just one, (laughs) is called It Is Finished. And it's that cry from the cross that Jesus makes on Good Friday. But Dr. Taylor uses all kinds of phrases, statements, tells stories, uses metaphors to talk about the power of Jesus himself saying, it is finished. So that's one of the more powerful sermons that I've heard him preach. I didn't actually know about until after I had finished the dissertation, finished the first book, maybe even finished the second book. So there's all of these sermons that are out there that are still uh, like almost like a dig, an archaeological dig. They're waiting to be unearthed, uncovered, that continue to minister to me. So those are two sermons I think of. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. I actually wrote those down, so I want to go back and listen to those myself. So hopefully our listeners are taking notes there, and they'll they'll go back and watch those. We want to wrap up with this question. Those who are listening in, maybe they're interested in exploring them further. You talk about digging in in sermons, but what are some, some available resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, Dr. Taylor did write some books. He wrote a collection of sermons, or there's a collection of sermons called The Scarlet Thread with 19 different sermons. There's also a six-volume set by Edward Taylor, no relation to Gardner Taylor, but knew him and was friends with him, called The Words of Gardner Taylor. So that's a six-volume set put out by Judson Press. There's also an audio collection series called The Essential Taylor, so you can get a sense of hearing his sermons at at different key moments in his ministry. He co-wrote a book called We Have This Ministry, The Heart of the Pastor's Vocation. That was with Samuel DeWitt Proctor. They co-wrote that book together. And then I wrote those two books, Crossover Preaching, Learning from a Legend. The first one is the dissertation and is much more theoretical, abstract. The second one is much more practical lessons that we can learn from his preaching. But there's more work coming out all the time on Dr. Taylor, And I just encourage people to read as much as they can, learn as much as they can, listen to as much as they can. And over these next months and even years, because there's much more to learn from him. That's great. Well, Dr. Alcantara, thank you so much for joining us to discuss the preaching of Gardner Taylor. And uh, listeners, thank you for joining us and listening to this episode of Preaching and Preachers. Thanks so much, Dr. Bumpers. It was a joy to be with you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.